Grasp the Bible is a podcast of Spring Baptist Church that walks through selected books of the Bible, verse by verse, as well as spends time exploring biblical ideas and topics to help you understand and apply God's Word in your daily life. Happy New Year. This is our 90th episode. As we talked about last week, um, we're going to be doing a few different things over the next couple weeks as we get ready to jump back into the book of Mark and finish it out this spring. Now, what we're doing this week is Pastor Daryl is going to be talking about new friends. As we approach this new year, it's important to see what God has to say about friends and friendships and look at it from the biblical point of view. So thank you for joining us today. Again, I hope you have a happy new year and we're going to jump right into it. With the new year still upon us, many of us have made New Year's resolutions to do certain things this year. And so what's great about the new year is that it gives us a chance to reset, to begin things anew and afresh. And sometimes what we can do uh, at the beginning of New Year is resolve to make new friends, perhaps people um, who are very different from us. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about friendships, and they are so important in our lives. And for some of you, the topic of friendship might not seem too deep, but the reality is that friends have a big impact on our lives. You can probably think of friends from your early childhood who were formative in those years, but the experiences from those friendships live well beyond that season of life. Those relationships continue to have an impact on your life today. They shape how we do life. Our friends shape our values, and they shape the beliefs that we hold today. In fact, one of my favorite sayings is, tell me who you're with, and I'll tell you who you are. Tell me who you're with, and I'll tell you who you are. And you can probably think of some friends who are a little crazy and convince you to do some crazy stuff when you were younger. They might have been those friends your parents didn't like, and for good reason, because they got you into a mess of trouble. Now, I know some of you, and I'm convinced that you were that friend. So friends are those with whom we laugh together, we cry together, and we make dumb decisions together and then laugh about those. And here's the truth you're going to find in Scripture. As we look at the interaction of people in the Bible, we see God using those relationships to accomplish His will in people's lives. Time and time again, we see God using a friend to encourage, support, and even rebuke when needed to help guide and direct our lives. This is why Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Friends are for encouragement, but real friends also show us when we get off the path. This is God's design and why friendships are so important to us and why this year we need to be all that that we are designed to be in our relationships with others. We can't be all God wants us to be alone. We need friends to help along the way. So today, we're going to look at a story of friendship in the Bible that will help us understand the power of great friendships. This message focuses on a friendship formed out of the most unlikely of circumstances. It serves us as a model of the power of of strong friendships, no matter individual differences. 
The goal is to take steps towards friendships in our faith community for the mutual benefit of everyone. And I want to give you three characteristics from the passages we will read today at the beginning, and then we'll unpack them as we go. Okay, so here we go. Real friendships overlook differences. Real friendships overlook differences. Number two, real friendships look out for one another. They look out for one another. And then finally, real friendships look to carry on the blessing. Okay, they look to carry on the blessing. And the story we're going to look at today is the story of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament. So let me give you a little bit of background. This story takes place when Saul was king of Israel. This probably happened sometime between 1015 and 1010 BC. Jonathan was Saul's son, and he was the heir to the throne. He was set to be the next king of Israel. And this was obviously important to King Saul, because be honest, right? If you're the king, wouldn't you want your son to be the next king in line? Now, David was the commander in Saul's army. He was promoted in Saul's army because of his victory over the giant named Goliath. And there's another really important detail as a part of all this. David had been anointed the next king of Israel by the prophet Samuel, meaning that God had selected David to be the next king after Saul. God didn't tell Saul this, of course. David had been anointed, but he wasn't yet king. And um, of of those who knew, no one was quite sure how this was all going to go down. How was David going to become the king? And in the process of David joining Saul's army and serving at the palace, David and Saul's son Jonathan, the heir to the throne, the one who's supposed to be the next king in Saul's mind, well, they became best friends. So can you see the tension this could cause? So my first point is this. Real friendships overlook differences. If anyone had a reason to despise each other, it was Jonathan and David. Think about it. Jonathan should have been so mad at David because he's supposed to be the next king because of his lineage. David, on the other hand, should have been ready to take over and kill Jonathan because God had anointed David as king. Heck, they weren't even similar in upbringing. Jonathan was royalty. David wasn't. According to man, Jonathan was supposed to be the next king. David wasn't. Jonathan was a warrior from birth, and David watched sheep. They were different, yet they became friends and best friends. They didn't let their differences divide them. All right, so let's talk politics. Wow, I know some of you, you're squirming right now. Well, hang on, okay, because here we go. On October 6, 2020, YouGov released the results of a poll that showed the following. Nearly one quarter of Democrats, 24%, say they are not friends with anyone who holds very different political views from them. A 14-point rise from when YouGov asked the same question in 2016. Independence showed an 8-point increase from 12% to 20% in not being friends with those who have opposing political views, while Republicans have not changed significantly from 10 to 12% in the last four years. None of the political parties have grown more likely to share camaraderie with those who don't hold similar opinions. An August 2020 YouGov poll finds that 44% of Americans say they would be willing to date someone with political views other than their own. About 2 in 5, or 39%, said they would not be very or not at all willing to do so. 
almost half, 48% of Republicans said they'd be willing to date someone with different political views, while fewer, 40%, of Democrats say the same thing. Men are 17 percentage points more likely than women to say they would be willing to date someone with political views different from their own. Meanwhile, 44% of women say they would not be willing to date someone with different political views. Now, here's something else. A July 3rd, 2021 article from the Washington Post cited a June study for the American Enterprise Institute that found that 15% of adults have ended a friendship over politics. And of those who did, 22% volunteered that they had ended, they'd ended a friendship over a mismatch in support of over former President Donald Trump. Republicans tend to have more bipartisan friendships than Democrats do. Just over half of Republicans, 53%, said they have at least some friends who are Democrats, while about a third of Democrats, or 32%, said they have at least some Republican friends. Wow. That is where we are in this country right now. Now listen, because this is so powerful. This will preach in today's world where everyone is getting offended about everyone else's opinion. And it's dividing us. I'm talking to you, my Christian brother. I'm talking to you, my Christian sister. Now, if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, you're off the hook. You're not bound by what I'm about to say. But I still think you should listen because I think you'll agree. All of this division, all this cancel culture is something we should be working against. We should be fighting and working towards unity. Do you know what I do if I'm watching something on television and I find something offensive? Click. Yep, I turn the TV off. You know what I do if I'm listening to streaming music and a song comes on that I think is trashy? Click. I turn the station. I don't demand the stations be boycotted. I don't insist that the artists be deplatformed and shut down for hate speech or for hurting my feelings. No, I put on my big boy pants and I realize that not everyone is like me and that sometimes I'm going to get offended and I get over it. Did you know that when you see something on Instagram or Facebook that you don't like that you can just keep scrolling? I know it's crazy because see, I thought I had to let the other person have it. That I had to dox them. I had to report them for spewing hate speech. At least that's what I see advocated in the media, right? But then one day I discovered that I could just keep on scrolling. Now, maybe that feature is just on my accounts. I don't know. So I challenge you to try it out and see if you can simply scroll past something offensive as well and see if it works for you. Now, let me make this point really clear though. Unity does not mean... I have to change what I think. I don't agree with everything my friends think. I don't even agree with everything my spouse thinks. And I know she does the same with me. Just look at your family. Some of your family and extended family are so weird, right? Some of you are laughing right now because you know who I'm talking about. Some of you aren't laughing because you're the person in the family. Think about how different Jesus was from the disciples. Now, Jesus is God, right? Can you imagine knowing everything You literally know the answer to every problem. That would be cool, but it would also be hard. It would be hard to keep quiet during problem-solving sessions. Imagine all the disciples get together to figure out where all the money is going during their ministry trips. Now, this is speculation, of course, but maybe it, it could happen, right? Peter says, we're spending too much on meals and eating out. James says, no, it's not because of that. We're spending too much on travel hotels and donkey rentals. Thomas is like, I doubt it. Right? But Judas, he was a thief. 
That actually is in Scripture, and Jesus knew Judas was stealing the whole time. If it was me, I would get frustrated with the disciples. And this is where being ignorant can can be good. I'm sure now you're saying ignorance is bliss, and yep, it is. So there's a massive difference between Jesus and the disciples. Though there was this huge divide, God literally made friends with human beings. Look at what Jesus says to his disciples in John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business is. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Now, this begs the question, why? Why overlook so much for David and Jonathan or Jesus and the disciples? Why overlook so many issues? Well, here's why I believe David and Jonathan could be such good friends and why Jesus could call the disciples friends. And this is so important because if you can do this, it will help everything. Here's what they did. Jonathan and David and Jesus all focused on the person and not everything around the person. They were able able to separate the person who has such great value from the circumstances, values, and beliefs they held. Now remember, Jesus did not compromise on his beliefs, not in the least, and some hated him for it. But he was secure in who he was and what he believed. But that didn't stop him from loving others who disagreed with him, and he even went as far as to die for them. Wow, what an example for us. So what relationships in your life do you keep your distance from because you don't think they're like you, or talk like you, or believe like you? What if we kept our beliefs intact, but we just listened and got to know other people? What if we weren't threatened by someone else's viewpoint? What if we used social media to make friends rather than enemies? What if we looked at getting to know the person rather than ignoring them because we disagree on a particular matter? Well, I think we would have more and deeper friendships. The most mature people I've met are the ones who can connect and talk to anyone, yet they have strong confidence and beliefs about their values and where they are going. So real friendships overlook differences. Number two, real friendships look out for one another. Now, King Saul was jealous of David, though David had done so much for him as one of his best warriors. Saul became more and more jealous and wanted to kill David. David's success started to concern Saul so much that David might become king and he and his family would be replaced. So look at what Saul does to make sure David doesn't become king. Okay, so I'm going to read to you from 1 Samuel 19 verses 1 through 7. Saul now urged his servants and his son Jonathan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his strong affection for David, told him what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a hiding place out in the fields. I'll ask my father to go out there with me and I'll talk to him about you. Then I'll tell you everything I can find out. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time you risked his life to kill a Philistine giant and how the Lord brought about a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? 
There is no reason for it at all. So Saul listened to Jonathan and vowed, As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. Afterward, Jonathan called David and told him what had happened. Then he brought David to Saul, and David served in the court as before. Again, Jonathan could have had the throne here. If he would have just agreed and gotten rid of David, he would have been the king. However, Jonathan does the right thing at the expense of himself. And that's what friends do. They think about what is very best for the other person, even when it might cost them something. Again, this is what Jesus did. He left heaven to come here to this sinful earth. Not only did he come to earth and dwell among us, he also died for us sinners. Look at what John 15, 13 says, There is no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. Wow. That is what a friend does. They do what's best for the other person. I'm reminded of uh, lyrics from a 2007 country song by uh, Tracy Lawrence, and it's called, You Find Out Who Your Friends Are. And the chorus says this, You find out who your friends are. Somebody's going to drop everything. Run out and crank up their car. Hit the gas. Get there fast. Never stop to think what's in it for me, where it's way too far. They just show on up with their big old heart. You find out who your friends are. How many of you know that true friends are there when you need them? Now, you've heard the saying, friends don't let friends drive drunk, right? Well, here are some other things that I think should be a phrase. Friends don't let friends shame themselves. Friends don't let friends walk away from God. Friends don't let friends treat their spouse with disrespect. Friends don't let friends become isolated. Friends don't let friends make decisions that will destroy their lives. See, friends just don't let their friends do certain things. They also encourage their friends to do the right things. Friends call you up when you're hurting. Friends push you to take a step of faith. Friends help you stay connected to the church. Friends are example of examples of what you should be in your family in your marriage, and in your career. These friendships give us the strength to reach the heights that God wants for us. It's this community of friends who are there for us. If you've ever been to California, up uh, to the Redwood Forest, you know, it, it is so impressive. These trees are, are massive, and, and they're some of the tallest and oldest trees on earth. Some of them are over 300 feet high and over 2,500 years old. Now, you would think that such large trees would have tremendous root systems reaching down hundreds of feet into the earth. But the redwoods actually have a very shallow system of roots, only going down about five or six feet. So how do they get so big and stand for so long? Well, although they have a shallow root system, their roots go out more than 100 feet from the trunk. So what happens is that their root systems intertwined. They are locked to each other. So that when the storms come and the wind blow, winds blow, the redwoods stand. And it's because they don't stand alone, because all the trees support and protect each other. And that's God's plan for me and for you. He's going to use friendships to make that possible. So real friendships look out for one another. And then my final point is, Real friendships look to carry on the blessing. Time passes and King Saul dies in battle and so does his son Jonathan. 
David becomes king, and he wants to know if anyone from Saul's household is still left. Now David's men find this man named Mephibosheth. It's Jonathan's son, and he's crippled. And it explains why in 2 Samuel 4, verse 4, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him. He became crippled. Mephibosheth's whole life, he had been crippled. And he was just living his life, eking out a living. And suddenly, he finds out that the king wants to see him. So look at 2 Samuel chapter 9, verses 5-13. through 13. So David sent for him and brought him from Machir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect, and David said, Greetings, Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth answered and said, I am your servant. Now let's stop here. Mephibosheth is terrified, and rightly so. He didn't want David to find him. He was happy keeping to himself. He didn't want David to take vengeance on Saul's family and decide to kill him. But let's pick up the rest of the story and see what it says. Beginning in verse 7. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant? that you would show such kindness to a dead dog like me. Then the king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Ziba replied, Yes, my lord the king, I am your servant, and I will do all that you have commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table, like one of the king's own son. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem and ate regularly at the king's table. Mephibosheth thought he was going to die, but instead found himself among friends. David is passing on the blessing of real friendship. David couldn't do anything about Mephibosheth's feet, but he could provide food for him. The one thing that Mephibosheth probably struggled with because he was crippled was planting and harvesting food, but David meets that need. I think so much of our younger generation of people struggle with identity and good relationships outside of a phone or computer or gaming console. Now, we can't remove or change the world we live in, But we can give them and model for them the very thing they need and are longing for. Good friendships. We can carry on the blessing of great friendships. We can pass on the blessing. And so again, real friendships carry on the blessings. Now let's get practical. You can make friends here at church in a lot of different ways. But the most effective way is through one of our life groups. Now we have life groups that meet at both our Spring and Klein campuses. And these are groups uh, of people, usually about 10 to 15 people, who meet on campus on Sunday mornings, and they read, study, and apply the Bible to their daily lives. And we have 
life groups here for all ages and stages, from newborns to senior adults. And if you are at Spring Baptist Church and you're not connected to a life group, I encourage you, show up next Sunday in our foyer, let someone there know that you're interested in a life group, and they will take you to one. They'll be happy to introduce you to the teacher there. And here's what you're going to find when you go to a life group, okay? You're going to find people there who are not perfect, and they don't pretend to be perfect. In fact, more than likely, their lives are messy. They have struggles, and they probably don't have it all figured out. In other words, they're just like you and me. And a lot of our ministry happens in life groups because people in life groups care for one another. They look out for one another. They give for one another and serve one another and love one another. And they are connected like those redwoods and their lives intertwine with one another. And you'll find deep and long-lasting relationships in a life group. And they are a great example of what it means to have friends. I hope you find this message encouraging. I hope that it will uh, renew some old friendships, and I hope that it will encourage you also to seek out new friends, especially with people who are very different from you. May God bless you as you begin this new year. Pastor Dale, thank you for that so much. It is so important that we apply God's view, a biblical worldview, to every part of our life, from friends, family, work, and church and not just compartmentalize our lives. Thank you for that word again. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will continue this little two-week mini-series talking about the new year and some of the new things we can do. Again, thank you for joining us. Join us next week as we continue to grasp the Bible.